Yeah, hello everybody. Welcome to the eighth episode of the One Mate One Dude podcast. I'm Bill, the dude from the US. And I'm Joe, the mates from the UK. And today uh, we have a very special guest here, as, as always. Uh, his name is Callum, and he is a very uh, seasoned restaurant owner and a fitness blogger. Um, so uh, what did you think about today's uh, episode here today, Joe? Great pun there, mate, with the with the seasoned. <laughs> um, yeah, the episode was pretty decent. Um, <laughs> yeah, we actually mentioned uh, burnout as well, but you know, not no pun intended with that one as well. Nice. Um, yeah, it was a good episode. Um, we learned a lot about we learned a lot about the raw realities of you know the struggles of running an actual restaurant. It's not always what it looks like from from a diner's perspective and uh i think what i found really interesting was like you know callum was someone who you know went through that educational um step in in doing his undergrad and then masters so it was interesting to hear that transition from you know a neuroscience background and why he decided to to transition into the catering business uh, so that was pretty pretty good right he he offered a lot of in, unfiltered information into the whole uh, restauranting industry which is really insightful for, uh, for for both of us and I'm, I'm we're also hoping it will be insightful uh, to our listeners as well uh, right uh, might as well dive in and, and stick around for it all the uh, the crazy um, restaurant stories and uh, all the uh, I guess the experiences that that Callum has had with the um, not only with uh, the restaurants during the pandemic, but also his current route of going into uh, fitness and um, just sort of uh, getting to know a very uh, interesting individual who's um, sort of gone through many routes um, in, in his career. So yeah, stay tuned. Nice. All right, Callum, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, how's everything uh, been going for you? Hey, what's up? Thank you for having me as your guest. Um, yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. Uh, kind of exiting okay. lockdown life in transitioning out of lockdown life in UK. So that's a that's a, a big positive. Um, yeah. So how's how's things with you know COVID and all that been? you know, affecting you. Um, I guess your your business is around in London, right? Have you been yeah. stepping away from that area or Yeah, so the businesses are, are in London. Um I've actually stepped away from it since the start of COVID anyway. So that's not really been like a priority on my on on my priorities list right now. Um but in terms of handling COVID, I'm dealing with it pretty well actually. I've been working on a blog a lot of times uh, in, in the past few months so that's been keeping me occupied so a lot of people have been struggling i think but for me i've been very busy anyway at home so that's kind of taken the, the edge of things what about you boys have you been dealing with it oh you know just um keeping keeping fresh content up for for this podcast that we made so 
that's that's right. I would say right. that takes a that takes up a good amount of time, but I feel like other than that, yeah. just you know the normal um normal work routine, daily life. But no, honestly, it's it's so nice to um it's so nice to sort of see the end of the pandemic so close, like with oh yeah, for sure, for yeah, sure. like. I recently got my vaccine, so that was that was definitely you know oh no a step forward. But which one did you get? Pfizer. Pfizer, yeah, Pfizer. Pfizer. I, I feel like everyone's taking Pfizer at the moment, so it's it's nice if you're looking to like travel a little bit. But yeah, but back back to you, Callum. Um, could I guess? So you you mentioned you have a blog. Is that is that related to um sort of um what 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 you're doing at the moment or or what you want to do? Okay, yeah, so the blog is actually a fitness blog. Um, I have been quite into my fitness these past two years, ever since COVID struck, I think. Um, I think a lot of people have, right? There's been more of an emphasis on keeping well and keeping, keeping healthy and fit in general. So I've been doing that a lot. I've been working out a lot. So I've decided to kind of use that one avenue to kind of write about my interests. So, so hence I started this blog. Um and yeah, I've been working on it for about six months now. Um hopefully I'll kind of turn it into uh what's the word for it? So my primary career path. That's my goal right now. Mm-hmm. Monetization, nice. Yeah, yeah. Step that, isn't it? I think a, a lot of businesses are kind of transitioning a lot into the online world now, the digital world the way forward. Mm. Mm. Brick and mortar businesses—they've taken a big hit recently, especially with the COVID. Mm-hmm. Right? How how did you? Could you explain this sort of the process of how you got started uh, with 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 your blog, and I guess how I don't know how how did it how did it start for you, and and I guess what what made you sort of go go that route? How did it start? Just yeah, it random. <laughs> it, yeah, was it? It was a very random, it was literally just a kind of spell of the moment thing. I was looking up online, obviously everyone's bored out of skulls during lockdown, right? So I was YouTubing a lot, <laughs> looking up ways to make uh, kind of uh, make money online, all this kind of stuff. Uh, Some across blogging, and that kind of took me by surprise. I didn't realize, you know, blogging could be a successful avenue to to, to make a living. So I kind of uh, delved inside of there, and yeah, one step led one step led to another, and I'm stuck right into it now. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good to get stuck into something new and learn some new skills and yeah, get yeah, into you're a right. Industry, right? Especially with when the digital side of things, it's it's good to learn new skills. You know, on the on on the online front. Just moving back to um to Callum, I guess the audience. Needs wants to know what you know your businesses are in London, right? Um, yeah. In terms of your any details about your restaurants or how many you have. Okay, yeah. So the current portfolio is just two. We've kind of downscaled a lot recently because <laughs> it was a lot to manage at one point. Um, at the moment, it just consists of Haojian Restaurant in London Chinatown. Uh, so this is a dim sum restaurant specializing in dim sum and Cantonese dishes, Hong Kong dishes, uh, roast duck. And then we also have another restaurant called Laksa. And this is a Malaysian restaurant in Soho. It's also a cocktail bar. Um, that's actually a, a new venture. So it's, it literally just opened before 
right before COVID struck. Um, oh, damn. Which wasn't ideal, but you got to roll with the times, really, don't you? <laughs> yeah. That's bad timing. That's completely... Yeah, it is. Um, you can do about it, you know? Yeah. Right. Dude. How was, was the experience during COVID? Um, I guess, how, how did you guys uh, operate like during COVID? Did you guys have to change a bunch of, um, I guess, honest, how dude, you're doing things and, and so on? To be honest, we're, a lot of places were shut for pretty much 80% of the whole two years, previous two years. Wow. Um, during the times it was open, the venues were open. Um, they were purely operating on a kind of takeaway basis, so no, no dining in, um, just takeaway only. Um, obviously, a lot of businesses did take a massive, massive hit. Um, mm. Now things are starting to recover, obviously. So with the whole vaccine rollout, um, people are allowed to dine out again. Uh, the government did do like a kind of roadmap, so they did kind of transition into normality on a, on a, on a kind of slow, um, gradual basis. So as far as I began with dining outdoors only, and then we're shut again because of the, of the third wave. Um, but now things have resumed, resumed back to normal. So indoor. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a, bit of a cock tease, wasn't it? For the whole year. It was always like, up, yeah. you know, Boris going on and off, couldn't make his mind up sometimes. And yeah, a lot, a lot of dicking about it felt like for you. It is I what it is. It, I think it was something for me. What do you think? In my realms. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. no government could be disincapable, surely. That's that's what I think. But anyway, that's beyond it's my realm. unpredictability. Because yeah. um, they did introduce a scheme called Eat Out's Help Out at one point. So basically, it was 50% off um, all customer meals, and then the government would reimburse the restaurant owners. Well, that fifty percent off. Uh, obviously, that, that attracted a big crowd, but then that lasted for everyone a month. Got fat. Yeah, everyone got fat. <laughs> uh, lasted for a month, and then everyone yeah. was again. Everyone ate out every day. So that's been a bit. It has been very turbulent two years, but it's quite. You have to be adaptable, you know. Mm-hmm. How long have you had the restaurant, Callum? Did you start it when you were fairly young, or how do you know? I'm 30 now. Um, how much time we've had for six, seven years now, actually. Seven years? Seven years, yeah. Um, so that must have been... Did you... I guess you finished your like college and education and jumped into this sort of industry straight away. How, what was yeah. What was the roadmap from there? And what was your thinking at the time as a right. young lad? Okay, um, yeah. So I started my academic career, um, uh, learning, academic learning at Southampton University, did my biochemistry degree, BSc, bachelor's. Uh, Then I went to UCL, University College of London, got my master's in neuroscience. I'm a massive science nerd, absolute science geek. Um, But I graduated my master's and I realized I was Pretty shit. I was, oh, excuse my language. So I was pretty bad at science, basically. And I was a bit lost as to what I could do afterwards. What do you I mean, shit? How do you mean? 
I wasn't very good at the bench work, actually. So the kind of lab lab right. work. Obviously, you need to be highly well. Yeah, you have to be competent in mathematics, basically. And it's mm. not really my forte, unfortunately. I know I'm Asian, but I'm pretty rubbish at maths. Nice. It's just a stereotype. Parents disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I, I realised in those four years of uh, um, studying science and academia, I realised it really wasn't something I was very competent in. So I graduated. I was a bit lost and puzzled as to what I could do. I was I was in limbo for a bit, you know. Um, mm. But I knew I wanted to make money. I wanted to get a high-paying job. That's what I knew. Who doesn't? I also wanted to stay in London. I, I love London. Um, so, yeah, hence I just said, yeah, screw it. Let me just try the restaurant out. Obviously, my, my family had did have two restaurants at the time in London Chinatown, so kind of took that opportunity up. Dead and doing nothing, right? Ten years later, I, I've had That's a 10-year career in, 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 in hospitality business. Um, I've decided to leave. Left two years ago. Um, yeah, here I am now working on my blog. Not really a, the most conventional path in the world. <laughs> no, I, well, what is yeah. what is conventional anyway? Yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, but but Callum, like you. coming coming back to you here, like was I guess was that experience uh, good? Like overall, like how how was the whole getting into uh, sort of managing restaurants and like how how was the overall experience for you would, would you say if you if you could would you ever go back if i could would i ever go back uh the answer to that would be a affirmative no i wouldn't go <laughs> having said that i don't regret starting i did learn more than i could ever imagine i would ever learn about life about skill uh life skills business running a business making money um mm-hmm. Managing people. Would I go back? No. Yeah. Yeah. People management, just kind of hard and soft skills in, in terms of um, running a business, you know. Um, mm. Would I ever go back? No, I wouldn't. It's, uh, it's very stressful. <laughs> very, very stressful. Mm. Was was it, um, you, you mentioned the uh, the hard and soft skills. Like, would, would you say there's one that, that you value one over the other, or is it like just something that you need to do? in order to make it business successful is it you do just need to become very well-rounded and into um with all the hard and soft skills that, that you would need in in at a restaurant uh yeah you would have to be very very rounded um and that is exactly what i've become i think from from this experience basically a restaurant is is a mishmash of everything you know you need um mm. customer skills you need planning some organization all this kind of stuff, mm. uh, planning, budgeting, people management, uh, presentation skills. If you're owning a restaurant and you have, you have shareholders to present to, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you need you literally need a bit of everything to, to be successful in this field. I'm just curious to know, like, because some of our listeners might be around our age, like 20 odd years old, just after uni, who might be in the same shoes as you, like in that limbo phase, you say? Because yeah, you yeah. went straight into like, did you go straight into the management side? So like, you just went balls in first and just went from graduating, didn't know what you're doing, and then said, "I'm just going to manage and take over whatever is there." How did that feel at the time? Like, okay, did it take long to adjust to that kind of life? 
No, because obviously I, I just graduated. I was, I was I was in limbo for about a half a year, basically. So I was, I was itching to get a job anyway. Just do anything, yeah. you know. Um, when I first started, it wasn't it wasn't a glorious position. I was a glass cleaner. <laughs> I was a I was a runner. The, the, the restaurant is is um is, is a small business. It is family owned, but mm. there are shareholders as well. So obviously, no one gets any form of you know special treatment. So when mm. I first started, I did obviously being very very inexperienced. Um, I did start at the lowest position, <laughs> being the glass cleaner runner, um, sucking windows. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> The shit job, the horrible jobs, which no one wants to do, and then from mm. there I progressed. Yeah, so glass cleaner to 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 making drinks, to catering, to managing, and then culminating in being a the company director. Um, was it hard to adjust to? No, it, I kind of took it took it um, as a claim, really. Yeah, because a lot of the people who are young always say like oh i should really try to utilize my degree you know i've spent like thousands of pounds and dollars studying for something like mm. neuroscience and then end up not using it so did you have any thoughts on suggesting like you don't have to go down that route that you've always destined to or oh for sure whatever? man for sure in fact you shouldn't that's that's very very in my opinion and from my experience it's a very restrictive kind of mentality which mm. I would strongly advise against. Um, I'm, I mean, obviously, I understand. I've, I've been there myself. You, know? you graduate, you spend all that money, you spend all that time. You want to mm-hmm. make the most out of your degree, you know? And a lot of people actually will tell you to do the same, especially the older generation. They'll, 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 ask, they'll kind of persuade you to, you know, if you study whatever, engineering, be an engineer, you know, make a career out of that. But I think in this kind of modern day and age, there's so many opportunities, you know, you don't have to be restricted to what you studied. And how'd your parents take it? Did they, did they encourage you to dive into this? So how did my parents feel about it? Um, as yeah. in, how did my parents feel about me entering the restaurants? Yeah, and kind of not, neg- not neglecting, but not using the skills, like you say, that you develop for uni. Like my parents always, of neuroscience and stuff. Yeah, my parents have always been very like liberal, not the traditional you know, Asian pushy pushy parent style. They've always been quite liberal, quite free. Um, they they did advise me against it, <laughs> but obviously being a twenty one year old male, I was very stubborn. Thought <laughs> I'd give it a go. Yeah. Um, yeah, they 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 advised me against it, but they they had no qualms about it. And to be honest, like my my parents, they they didn't really. They're not that kind of familiar with the whole kind of opportunities that, that are available from your degree. So they, they didn't really, they're pretty clueless on that front, basically. So they didn't really have any opinion on the matter. So they didn't really see the, the thing that you were losing out because they weren't familiar with the field that you could go into, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, they did they did mention it a few times, but nothing to, you know, they didn't really, sure. no, they kind of dropped it pretty quick. But they were, they were, um, they they knew what the restaurant business was like. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so my dad, right? So they probably 
were, were they like happy that you didn't cho choose that that route in the end or were they happy that I left eventually yeah just for, uh, for, for I guess for your own better or I don't know I think they are yeah I, th I think they are I think everyone who's ever made a career out of being in the restaurant they, they would advise against it really like what what yeah. makes it what makes it sort of i i mean because from the outside looking in like owning a restaurant is like very i feel like most people always talk about it but it's something like that never like people most people don't experience i guess what what is what is something that that i guess makes it look down upon is it like the constant like experience with customers or like keeping food quality up or well, what's like what would you say is like the biggest knock on like owning and, and managing a restaurant it's stress and it's graft hot graft that's what it is and that's the brutal long hours too, huh? it's long hours late nights um early days constant constant mental stress whether it be from staff yeah there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of people management involved there's a lot of stress on that front um it, just everything about it is a very high pressure environment. And to be honest, there's other ways to make money, you know? Mm. Yeah. In, in, the, in the older generations, I think in our, like, for example, mine and yours, Joseph, uh, our parents' generation, they didn't really have any other kind of alternative other than through takeaway slash restaurant businesses. But when it comes to our generation, I think we, there's, uh, there's a lot more opportunity to be made elsewhere, you know? Like my dad was like trying to dissuade me from doing what he did because he's experienced mm. it firsthand. All the labor, the long hours, <laughs> the variable income that kind of that does yeah. cause a lot of stress as well compared to when you work with someone when your income's a bit yeah. more stable. So yeah, is that something that people need to watch out for when they get a restaurant? You know, there could be lulls or like months where it's just completely dead and you've got to loan money and to keep your staff afloat and stuff. Yeah, it is. One thing, if if you were to, obviously, I, I don't want to bash on the restaurant trade too much, <laughs> um, but if you were to go into it, I would strongly advise you analyze your numbers, basically. There will be down periods and up, up periods. And to be honest, the up period is, you're expecting maybe two months of the year is the up, up period, three, four months, you know, two, three, four months will be the up, up period. And the remainder of the year, you will be maybe making a loss you know it's all about the averaging um so it is, it is very stressful on that front yeah i would have thought london i don't know bill did you think london would be like hustling bustling all the time always maxing out and use all the time oh absolutely i i feel like my like london chinatown because i've been able to to sort uh to see what's there Oh, that's like that feels like that's one of the highest pressure environment environments you'll ever be in. Like, just you know, the, not only do you have a restaurant, but you're in like a super busy section of a very busy metropolis. Like, I mm. I can't even imagine, like in London, especially like people are also you know can be a little bit difficult. I understand that because um, huh? customers right. always right, right? Customers the always customer right. is not always right. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that now. <laughs> you want to make you want, you want to make them think they're right. Don't get me wrong. You you want to make them think they're right, but to be honest with you, the customers most of the time they're wrong. 
but obviously you, you need to make them uh, okay. that's that's a trick right you that's just gotta fun. accommodate for 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 the issue that they have and then... yeah yeah i mean like there's been so many instances where the customers have ordered the wrong food they've complained about it and they explain to them you know this is what you ordered and it does state explicitly on the menu this is what you ordered and like oh 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 okay okay but then they still have that kind of snidey little um mannerism behind uh, it as long as they eat it and they pay for the food i'm sure yeah yeah that's it that's it obviously being in central london is a you know global capital you know and not only that you're literally in the middle of that global capital being london soho uh, Leicester Square, you know, there is there there is a lot going on all the time, a lot of customers. Um, mm. I mean, people often think it's that makes it very easy, you know, being in a in a prime location like that. For example, being in a prime location in New York, it, it would be easy, but it's actually quite hard because of the amount of traffic that there is in that area. The, the prices, the rental prices, are also extremely high. But you need to come back for that as well. I can imagine, like that's like the, is the, would you consider that one of the main priorities? Um, I guess when you're generating income, um, Callum is you want to meet rent first, and then everything is is second after that. Is is that like the general thing? Yeah, or? pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, the priorities in terms of your outgoings, in terms of your expenditures, would be rent. Mm. Taxes and payroll. Stock labor. is important. Yeah, labor. Stock is important, but with stock, a lot of the companies do give you a, a they allow you for a bit of a backlog to slowly repay it. Oh, okay, so there's a bit of a lag there if you need yeah. it. Yeah. That's uh, fair. The, the priority is probably the biggest priority would be rent. If you don't pay your rent in time, you extortion there. Yeah get kicked out huh you don't want to be on the bad end of the landlord honestly they they will screw you over if they want to because in london there's so many restaurants like in every single corner yeah i think there's pressure to like always adapt your business and how do you rank yourself you know relative to everyone else because it's just so much competition you know right next to you Especially in Chinatown, when it's just like a whole street where you can just get food. Yeah, there is a lot of competition. You're right. Literally, Chinatown, ninety-eight percent, if not more, if not a hundred percent of the restaurant uh, places, the venues would be restaurants. So yeah, you're dealing with an extremely high, high degree of competition. Um, but just like with any business, you know, you need to differentiate yourself from the competition, find ways to different, different, differentiate yourself from the competition. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask actually, like, what were ways that, how did you, you know, deal with being different in your uh, restaurants? Did you have to change like the menus and stuff or did you, yeah, I how mean, did you be better in some ways? That depends on where you are, really. I mean, in a place like Chinatown, it's kind of hard because the whole concept of that area is Chinese dining. Um, as much as I hated it, most of the restaurants do different. The, the only way they do differentiate themselves is through lower prices, and I do hate that because it bring it does bring down you know the standard of the area. 
brings it down quite considerably. Yeah. Um, mm. But we, we, I mean, we specialize in dim sum and roast duck, which is something not every restaurant does do in that area, purely because they don't have the space for it. Um, it to, to be able to cook duck, you know, roast a duck or prepare your dim sum fresh daily on site, it does require a bit of kitchen space, which we were fortunate enough to have. So that's one way we differentiated, we separated ourselves from the competition. Wow. And and like in terms of marketing, did you guys have, were you guys mainly well known through like the different like tourist apps like TripAdvisor, things, um, Yelp? Was that something that, that you guys used to sort of uh, market market your your restaurant? Uh, we let that run organically, so we never really paid much too much attention to that, purely because, I mean, like, up until about three four years ago, business was booming. You know, there was there was a lot of trade. Um, there wasn't any real need to kind of fork out money for for expensive advertising or active advertising, shall I say. Um, so we did let the whole TripAdvisor side of things run organically, and it was fine. Um, however, obviously with the whole kind of Brexit thing going on, Brexit and uh, COVID, business has taken downturn. So, yeah, maybe it's time to kind of be a bit more proactive in that sense, and it's something to consider. Yeah, I hate to be that Gen Z mentioning tiktok here but i get a lot of recommendations through that and um really? you know it's just free advertising and it just blows up yeah i've just seen like there's this korean uh hot dog like corn dog place in china in, oh what's in London. Cold, I've seen that. and uh it's just blown up you must have heard it it's it's all come from tiktok like all the traffic oh, it's just some I've, fried I've uh bit of sausage like fried cheese yeah i've seen it yeah, on, a, seen on a stick it's nothing like groundbreaking, but it's just been, you know, these kids just on TikTok and they just, whatever they see, they, they will go to. A lot of things are driven by influencers nowadays with the whole social media side of things. I don't imagine the hot dog thing being a, I imagine it must be a fad more than anything. We'll have to see in it because uh, yeah. they've sold out like, you know, every day and well, we'll yeah, just see how it it's, goes. It's probably like their best two months of the year, maybe. <laughs> like like Alan was talking about. <laughs> they can re- <laughs> I don't know. I, I definitely... the thing, though, they can retire now. Especially in central London. There's a lot of fads. They come and go, honestly. Every every two months, there'll be something new popping up. Whether it be bubble tea, uh, Chinese desserts, um, this hot dog thing. <laughs> yeah. Some of them do last. What's your... There's a lot they don't. They can fade out very quickly. We just mentioned um, influencers. Um, let's say hypothetically, you had an influencer walk up to you and say, "Can we have some food?" And we would like post this up for you because that's quite common with a lot of the travel industry. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the influencers get free hotels and free free shit for just like putting putting it out there and they feel very entitled like from your perspective do you think that's should should they have it for free just because they've got that influence yeah we i've worked with a lot of influencers actually in the past um 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, there is, is a mutual benefit, you know, uh, they benefit, it's a symbiotic relationship at the end, end of the day. They can actually bring in a, a bit, a bit, uh, a fair bit of business. Um, but at the end of the day, though, it is a bit of a gamble. You, you do need to do your diligent research. Um, mm. In a lot of ways, it's almost like buying a stock, you know. You're always gonna, it's always going to be a risk and a reward, you know. Uh, you, you just have to take that calculated, calculated approach, research, do, do some diligent research into their background. Um, and if, you know, for example, if they do have 100,000 followers and they're mostly based in London, yeah, go for it. Why not? That free meal will probably cost you, like, cost the restaurant 20 quid max, 30 quid maybe. But then what they can bring into it, what they can bring back is a considerable chunk of money, you know. Actually, look higher, yeah, sure. Yeah, for me, I'm I'm willing to kind of take that twenty pound hit for on the off chance that I do get that get that one table back, you know, and one table will cover that mm. cost. Um, that's a good way of thinking about it. Like you, you mentioned a lot. Did you say you feel a lot of them feel very entitled? Yeah, because I know it makes sense from the perspective of the manager and what it could bring in, but I've seen a lot of backlash in terms of from the consumer side like these okay. influencers have the money to pay for it so you know they're the ones who are are more able to pay for it so why should they get it for free that's the that's the controversial um point that the consumers say when influencers go up to these places and get everything for free like celebrities right if david beckham came to your restaurant right would you charge him i would double <laughs> would you feel like <laughs> I would double charge him. <laughs> double charge him and get. Would you just say <laughs> no? Um. Yes, I would. I would. If someone like David Beckham came in, obviously he'd be charged. Um. But I was more referring to kind of um kind of Instagrammers, you know, people who make a living out of this. They review food, uh, stuff like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. So basically, yeah. they they come in, they they get their meal for free, they review it, they take pictures, they do some um promotion, and then. They get that meal for free. I mean, in, in that case, why not? Might as well go for it. Not that big of a big deal if if they don't bring any customers back. But yeah, a lot of them, in, from my experience, a lot of them are very professional. They they're very easy to get along with. They're very easy to work with. I've never once met a you know a, a very entitled, demanding influencer. And if I ever did, I'd, I'd be the first to reject them. No, I don't. I don't want your service. Right. It, yeah, it, yeah. You you gotta be nice to them, like if you're you're eating food, because you never know like what they can put in there. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they could fuck you up. Oh they yeah. They could write some shit about you. Yeah. Yeah. Rude service, you know. No, I've never, I've, I've never dealt with any nightmare, nightmare influences. A lot of them are very professional. I don't think that they're making a living out of it as well, you know. So it is a very symbiotic mm -hmm. relationship. Mm -hmm. Would Would you say, Callum, um, have you ever had like a bad experience with a specific just customer or like just being in 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 that that dome of of restaurants? Do you have any crazy stories or outrageous uh, outrageous things that that have ever happened to you? Uh yeah, I have. Um, I'm, I'm, it's, it's Soho. There's a lot of weirdos about. There's there's a lot of <laughs> you get all, all sorts of people coming in. Um, 
yeah, there have been a, a few weird, uh, weird people coming in, crazy stories. Um, I mean, for example, like in in Rustico, so this is this was a Italian restaurant we used to have um, back in the day. Uh, there was this woman who came in. She was dining by herself. Um, she, she seemed fairly nice, fairly approachable, fairly normal. Uh, she ate her meal, but then when it came time to pay her bill, she started acting really weird. Um, she started to take off all, all her clothes, literally stripped down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, she must have been in past, mid, past midnight, mate. No, this is this is peak normal trading hours. She she started stripping down and started doing this kind of shaman dance on on the restaurant floor. <laughs> Um, <laughs> looking back at it, yeah, she was she was she was definitely under the influence or something. Um, what the fuck? What you put in the food, mate? I'm joking. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh. I don't know, but give me some of that shit, man. <laughs> she looks like she was having a good time. She's probably having a great time. <laughs> um, there's there's a lot of people who complain about you know and random things which they shouldn't really be complaining about. Stuff like why is this ingredient in my food? You know when it's very clearly on the menu, it does state this ingredient is in your food, for example, peanuts or whatever. And they just don't bother reading the menu and they get all pissed off. That's just something you need to deal with. It's part of the trade, you know. Um, get people running off. Uh, so paying the bill, uh, eating and not paying the bill. In Cantonese, we call it Dan, so running away with the bill. Mm. In so, so in Haojan, this is one of my first instances. So in the first few months I was working there. So it was two 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 boys, two lads, young lads, probably about seventeen years old. So they had their food. When it came to time for to pay the bill, yeah, they tried to do a runner. Um really? which, is bit, which is a bit foolish. Uh yeah, they got caught by one of our waiters and literally the whole entire Chinatown, the whole entire this is this is quite endearing actually the whole uh the whole community came out so all, all the waiters all, all the customers they all came out surrounded him in retrospect it wasn't a very good idea but it was a bit of a a lot of community spirit in the in the area as well it's good looking out for each other yeah 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 you'd be surprised you well connected with all the bosses around your area you know do you go out for do you go out for meals or you quite interconnected with your competition. Do you feel? Yeah, some some of them you you kind of pick. It's just like making friends, you know. You some of them you're more close towards than others. Others there's <laughs> there's more of a wider friendship gap. A bit more distant. Yeah, yeah. more distant. As I said, um, but at the end of the day, you know, there's you're you're literally in the same bubble day in day out you, you do get you do develop friendships and do get to know your neighbors as much as there is competition as well mm. what happened to that what happened to rustico in the end because you mentioned it was the one you had before did you have to change it or anything like that yeah so rustico, rustico we actually turned into laksa the malaysian place we have right now so the same same premise same venue but different italian place. italian to Italian to Malaysia, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a bit of a change. Yeah. Again, that's an example of having to be adaptable. So Italian wasn't really working out that well. Um, 
there was a lot of competition and there wasn't enough demand for it either at the time. So we had to put things around, basically. Interesting. And what what made you, I guess, was it your decision ex- explicitly to go towards uh, Malaysian cuisine or was it that sort of just a, like a, like a group decision? Like what, what made you go towards, um, I guess, Malaysian food? That's just personal, personal curiosity. This was a group decision. Obviously, there's, as I said, there's, uh, there's a lot of shareholders involved as well. So it was a board meeting involved. Um, but at the time, there, there was, we, ha- we had the context of a very, very skilled, highly skilled, experienced, uh, Malaysian chef and his food was very good. Um, and from what we see, there's not, there's not much competition with regards to opening a Malaysian place in Soho. There's not, there's only one other restaurant in, in that whole entire area. And to most Asian food in general is a very good, good path to go down towards right now. Versus European food such as Italian or French, mm-hmm. it's just, that, that's a bit outdated, you know. European cuisine. Um, hence, we decided to go follow the Malaysian route. How's that been going out? Has it been okay? Yeah, it's been since been the transition. Well. Yeah, yeah, very good. As 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 well as it can be, really. I mean, having to go yeah. through all the COVID shutdowns, lockdowns. Yeah, I wanted to like on the back of lockdown and covid and stuff it's a bit more of a sensitive topic around i guess the perception of asian people during that rough period because my parents i was kind of worried for my parents you know about attacks and Mm. people going against asian food because that's where apparently covid came from and yeah the people in the uk didn't want to associate that much with us and that yeah. kind of drove business down for us a lot. It took a long while to kind of recover and the public needs to forget about it. How, what's your stance on that? You know, how did that affect you? And what was the environment like in Chinatown? Because I saw pictures and it was completely dead at one point. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, and that is a very good representation of what it's been like in, for the past two years, basically. Um, with regards to the, you're talking about the, basically the, the racism side of things, right? Yeah. yeah okay. So in in Chinatown, I've, I've I've never really experienced any explicit racism towards the staff, towards anyone, towards the community. But what I did see was there was there was a lot of kind of concealed racism. So obviously, as soon as COVID struck, um, business just took a massive hit, fifty percent more. 60% some restaurants and as you said as you correctly pointed out the street was literally dead it was empty and the people that were there they were just literally Asians many of the Westerners they avoided kind of time like the plague um but in terms of kind of explicit uh instance I, we, we didn't really experience any um I think the media kind of blow it out of proportion sometimes with these kind of attacks you know did, did did your father experience anything? Any racist? Um, not attacks. Like you say, it wasn't. Um, there wasn't like a a detailed incident that we could recall on. You know, it was more like just like microaggressions and people yeah. trying different foods. Like because KFC and McDonald's, they they were booming. You know, Domino's were really good, but most of my 
most of my dad's mates who also were in the industry of selling Chinese food, they felt like the Westerners were going for the alternatives because of, I don't know if, if it was concerns about us perhaps traveling to China and back. They were just holding back a bit. That's that's what the numbers were showing anyway. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of expected, to be honest. Like, as much as you, you don't want it to happen, is you do expect it to happen. Um, mm. And it, and it did happen, but I think we've gotten we've overcome that hump. The the Westerners are returning back to the to to Chinatown now. Things are starting to pick up. I went I actually went out there the other day. Um, it was pretty busy actually. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, everyone's got, now. got their vaccines now. No more fear. Like, yeah, I mean this revenge is traveling now. These kind of things like COVID that it naturally causes this kind of separation isn't it within the societies yeah but but now we're we're bouncing back back. no that's great to hear yeah because i honestly i also remember like during uh last year during the summer like new york chinatown was just they were suffering just nobody you know everybody or on all non you know people from the community they were typically you know wanted to avoid the area and yeah, I'd say like just being a normal person just out and like walking through Chinatown, you could definitely sort of feel micro right? macro aggressions from certain from certain people. You, you could feel the tension, right? Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, like, like you said, everything now is sort of slowly but surely getting back to normal. Um, that's mm. it's definitely great for for restaurants at the moment. Um, are are you guys doing? Um, is thing are things restricted like to outdoor dining at the moment, like in in London Chinatown, or is it like is indoor already allowed in, in the UK? Yeah, so just recently, uh, and it, it was just end of end of May they started we started to open up again. Um, uh, things have resumed back to normal now, or start starting to resume, I should say. They got mm. indoors, outdoors, everything. Nice, but no, none of those restaurants will ever see see Callum back back in the industry. Is, is that right? Oh no, no, for sure. See there. Um, more of a kind of been there, done that kind of thing for me right now. Um, I've I wouldn't go back. No. Like I think before you turn at least thirty or your early thirties, like it's definitely best to like. Do as many things as you as you can before you know. Yeah. You sort of settle down into a position. Um, I mean, you, you have to think this, especially in this day and age, there's so much opportunity to just try different things. You know, try different companies, different jobs, different sectors. I think it'll be very naive to kind of restrict yourself within one particular sector or path, uh, career path. Obviously, I, don't get me wrong. If you, if you want to be a doctor, by all means, go for it. You know, it's very for a niche, mm. niche career, but one thing is, if you're if you are kind of stuck in limbo, don't don't worry about it too much. You know, explore the world, you know, learn different skills. Yeah, when you when you made that decision to pivot just recently to exit the industry, you know, what was going through your mind, like, you know, because you could have easily just been been like really comfortable in it and stayed there and 
yeah and just you know rolled with it forever that's what people do usually just get comfortable and never change but always think they would they always wish they did so how, what was was there a particular moment where you just thought fuck it like this is i'm just gonna detach now and i don't care if i'm not getting income for the next few months but i'm just gonna cut it off and do my own thing yeah i see what you're saying so yeah that there wasn't a very very explicit moment it was more of a transi- slow transition so even like in the two two years running up before i left I, I I was getting pretty sick of it anyway. Um, I literally the only reason I stuck around is because I was requested to, and that was it. Um, but in terms of my own personal interests, no, I, I I didn't want to stay anyway. So yeah, so the time finally came and I made my decision, and I didn't look back since. Don't regret leaving. Was it to do with the industry itself, or you just fancied a change? Because both. Some people might be listening like, oh, I really want to start wrestling, but both, yeah. Both. Um, the industry itself, after, oh, I don't know anyone who's been there for more than five years and been like, oh, yes, I really? love it. I love wrestling. <laughs> uh, it's normally the complete opposite. <laughs> normally after five years, you're just, your soul has just been drained and you just want to get the hell out. Um, really? Yeah, so that happened to me quite quite significantly um but the other side of it was i, I did want to try different things and I, I don't want to be restricted down to that very niche career and especially now like in my opinion this is purely literally my opinion um mm. the, the restaurant market is overly saturated and in my opinion again um is kind of the bubble is bursting you know a lot, Ooh, scary, a, a lot yeah. of restaurants are, are struggling, and a lot of restaurants are closing down. Because before, before it, the restaurant trade was, lit, it almost it was a very like easily accessible way to open up a business, a brick and mortar business. A lot of people were doing it. Um, but now, because there's so many restaurants have been opened, there has been a bit, a bit of like a bubble that's formed, and yeah, now it's beginning to really, really, really burst. Mm. One thing I noticed is the gig economy, because uh, I don't know if you you guys um, seen these properties like just empty kitchens, and then they kind of rent them out to people to just use to sell takeaways for like a whole week or month, and then yeah. they use Deliveroo or Uber Eats to just flog out, and it's like a temporary takeaway, but it's super super lean, and they just infiltrate into the area and and just start taking a load of market share all of a sudden. Do you think that yeah. trend is sort of, you know, made a contribution to that? Massively. And I'm glad you pointed that out, actually. That has been a massive killer to the restaurant trade in general, the whole takeaway scene. Deliveroo, Uber Eats, they have literally taken a significant chunk from the market. And, yeah, I mean, the restaurants, are, I mean, the re- 90, 95% of the restaurants in the area will be on Uber Eats now because they've they've been forced to, but they they make pennies from it. You know, you all think they mm. you have to pay your staff to your, your kitchen to cook the meals, then you have to pay for the packaging, pay for the fees, pay for the taxes. After that, you're you're left with probably twenty percent of the profit. You know, but then you also have to pay your rent for the venue. So, whereas these it's kind tough, of pop up restaurant, uh, pop up kitchens, they pay pennies in comparison. So they can they can do it. They can get away with it. 
Yeah, that's one thing definitely to look out for. Because there's always that case where if you don't list, there's there's that FOMO where everyone, I don't know, me, me and Bill kind of use Uber Eats Heart a lot, I think, and Deliveroo, and we don't really tend to look outside that app anymore as kids or as younger people. It's like whatever's on there, we'll get. And there's less of that maybe interaction of walking around restaurants, just trying different things that you kind of see and it's it's all digital now so that's oh, that's where it's kind of yeah, I mean, trending uh, towards it seems i would say like i don't know for the most part like using uber eats is good like for convenience and everything but if 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 you live in an area like where there, there's a lot of restaurants i mean i feel like that's still a good a, a good way to you know still sort of you know be involved in the community a lot of the times like you can at least like with Uber Eats like get takeout, so you can at least like just order it through the app and then just go to the restaurant and pick it up. Um, so True. it's like Uber Eats. I always just assumed like the restaurant would still be getting their food, right? I mean, the restaurant would still be getting the money for the food that they give to their customers. Is that right? And then um, Uber, Uber hmm. Eats just charges an extra service fee. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then, yeah. They 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 charge a uh, it can be anything anywhere between twenty to thirty percent service fee. Wait. Mm. So if if, it, if the dish was ten pounds, you'd pay three pounds. Three pounds more. Oh, so it yeah. cuts it it cuts the the actual payment as well. Yeah, yeah. And the service fee goes to Uber Eats too. Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Because I noticed the prices on the Uber Eats are higher. Than the actual menu, so I tend to sometimes walk. Because Uber Eats and Delivery Day, I don't know how what their rules are, but they allow certain restaurants to upmark their prices to account for the, the service charge. Not every restaurant is entitled to that. I think it's the it's the older clients, it's the older older restaurants that have been with Delivery and Uber Eats all since the early days. They they can upmark their prices, but then they I think the companies in, they introduce a policy where you're not allowed to upmark. Up your menu prices. Would you, oh, I see. Okay. Would you say, Callum, it's better to have your own sort of delivery drivers? Is that is that more, um, I guess, cost effective from from a restaurant standpoint? Delivery in general is it's not really worth it. You might as well capitalize on on the on the traffic on the foot traffic, the dining crowd, especially when you're paying all that all that price for your venue as well, all the streaming for your venue mm. um but having said that it is something that we've been doing recently just out of necessity just because times have been so tough but under normal circumstances you wouldn't really uh you wouldn't really concentrate on delivery takeaway yeah so the customer could order and then they could come pick up the food but mm. uh, most restaurants in central districts they wouldn't bother with delivery it's not very logistical either no there's no it's in london right it depends on the area as well, right? Yeah, right. but in the in 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 the city, it, it doesn't really make sense to to delivery because when, especially when the last thing you want is for your restaurant to be, you know, receive a sudden influx of customers, and then you can't cope with that influx because the kitchen has been bogged down by delivery orders, mm-hmm. making pennies really. Right. I, I feel like that's one of the advantages having of having like a mom and pop is like <laughs> I've seen restaurants like especially like. Uh, Chinese restaurants where like they do free delivery just because like it's 
it's you know it's family and then they're just like you know make, making the, the trips but I guess it depends if you have if, if the family if you have enough family members there I guess because I, yeah. I, I you see I see so many restaurants here it's just like the free delivery and it's just like wow like if I just call this oh, number yeah. instead of you know is that in New York yeah it, it is it is in New York so most you get a lot of Chinese places that they, they just do free delivery but most people they don't use it or they don't know about it because they just opt for you know like a like a Uber okay. Eats or a Caviar or a um, what's another one Seamless DoorDash DoorDash okay. yeah there's, there's quite a few oh okay uh, no not it doesn't that doesn't really happen in in the London Chinatown no, no one does it's not it's not really a, a thing to do delivery yeah, we get some more dine in crowd yeah yeah, Americans are more about convenience and, and you yeah. know, speed. Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't like to enjoy our food. <laughs> but in terms of, I mean, there's only so much they can take, though. You have to remember as well, there's only so much market share they, the delivery companies can take because mm. at the end of the day, it's a whole complete, if you think about it, it's a whole complete different niche, you know, uh, delivery meals and dining restaurant. With a restaurant, if you go to a restaurant, you're you go in for the experience just as much as for the food, right? and that's something you can't really Service. get in the brew or Uber Eats. What's your um, projections for the future? Do you think more people are going to be more indoorsy because of like COVID, or do you think more people are going to do the revenge travel and just pig out on every single dine out experience? Let me just get more the trend. Is? Let me, let me yeah, what's your crystal ball saying, Tyler? <laughs> no, just thinking, um, <laughs> honestly, dude, I, I don't know. From what I've seen, from what I feel and what I've seen, I think things will pick up. I think because people have been locked up for so long, they're literally itching to get out. I mean, for me, like for, for me personally, I don't know about you guys, but to be able to go into a restaurant now and actually sit down with a beer and a meal and to be able to socialize with my friends, that is literally... I'll replace it, huh? Yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing that we took for granted. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Yeah, small things like that. I mean, I think, I think uh, the the restaurant trade will pick up a bit after the lockdown. But in terms of you know the 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 very long term, I honestly don't know. I think in general, uh, as I said, there is a bit of a kind of bubble bubble bursting kind of effects of the restaurants due to the oversaturation. And only the kind of most successful, the most unique, the most authentic will survive. Because there's there's a lot of chunk restaurants out there, what I call chunk restaurants. So restaurants that don't really offer. Shade. Uh, yeah. Corn, corn dogs. <laughs> yeah, they don't really offer anything. Jumping on the bandwagon, the food isn't very great. They don't survive very long. One, two years, mm. three years max. And then they'll be out. And What about the... So, like the Hong Kong uh, immigration coming up, do you think that would have an impact on Chinatown? Not significant. We've got hundreds of thousands of. Okay, interesting. Is it? Is is that the figure? Is it hundred thousand? Hundreds of thousand? Hundred. I think it's in thousands. Hundred thousand in influx or uh, from from Hong Kong. I should have a quick look. It was three hundred thousand over the course of five years. I did see it somewhere. Yeah, through 
Is it 300,000? 300, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's spot on. Yeah. 300k over the next five years. It's quite a lot of people. And but that's good business, though. Hopefully, yeah. However, having said money, that, a lot of real estate. said that, the the majority of the profits do come from the Western crowd in Chinatown. Mm. Purely through, obviously, the Westerners tend to eat more. They they drink more. True. And it, if they can't replicate it at home. Yeah, they can just cook at home. The the, yeah. the, super, <laughs> yeah. the supermarkets are probably that you know they probably make a lot of money from. Yeah, Oriental right. supermarkets. That's the ones to watch out for. Yeah, most of the business owners in Chinatown they they kind of they prefer the Western crowd over the Chinese. The Chinese they tend to be very conservative with their ordering. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Chinese knows the. The Chinese knows what's authentic and you know, but yeah. maybe a bit more picky, perhaps. Yeah, and just in general, the dishes that the Chinese, the, the more authentic dishes, which the Chinese tend to go for, they they tend to be more expensive as well for the restaurant, less profits involved. Whereas the kind of more, what I'd say, more Western dishes, stuff like the sweet and sour chicken, chicken sauce, chicken rolls, the cheaper to produce. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Better margins, yeah. Better margins for the for the Western crowd. Yeah, just put it in the deep, put it in the deep fryer, and then you know it's good. Yeah, pretty much, man. <laughs> Whereas with the all offensive dishes as well, it's very intricate cooking, you know. A lot of stages mm. involved. Mm. Makes sense. Um, right, Callum, just coming back to you. Um, I guess you, you're obviously you obviously know so much about in, in the space of, of restaurants. But we just want to get back, sort of like where you're headed at the moment. Um, so you mentioned uh, your fitness blog. Um, could you tell us, I guess, moving forward here, uh, a little bit more about that? Like, what sort of um, information do you, do you share uh, on your blog? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the blog is called Caliber Fitness. Uh, it's a play on my name, Callum Cow, and the word Caliber. Um, it's basically a, a science-based approach to workouts for skinny guys. Looking to get a bit of muscle, gain a bit of muscle, just generally building an overall better physique. Um, so I share workouts, I share kind of tips, training tips, share the scientific principles behind uh, how muscle is built and how you should look after your body, all that kind of stuff. Um, you should check it out. Because from the reason why I started this originally is because I've noticed a lot of people want to do want to change their, the way their bodies look, but they struggle with kind of knowledge behind it and how to apply the mm. principles how to work out a lot of people are pretty clueless when it comes to the gym if you tell them to go to the gym they wouldn't know what to do you know mm-hmm. so is it wasting you... their time if they don't yeah yeah <laughs> do, do you start do you start from like basic uh movements um Calum, and then like go to dieting or is it is it just like do you focus on on one specific thing or is it just is it just lifestyle no, so I focus on using dumbbells at the moment. So dumbbell workout plus the nutrition side of things. So stuff like how to be on a caloric surplus to gain muscle, how to eat the right amount of protein, um, the right kind of macronutrients, the fats involved, the carbohydrates, um, backing that up with scientific research. So it's all kind of up to date. Uh, 
No, that's awesome. We'll definitely include the, the link my, in our description. My mission is to kind of empower people with the knowledge to be able to look after the body in the long term without having to get a PT and personal trainer, which I think everyone can. It's quite expensive. Yeah, PTs are definitely yeah, expensive. Yeah, dude. Yeah, bro. Quite expensive. Expensive. The worst thing is, indeed, a lot of them. What they teach, obviously, I don't, I don't want to bash on them too much. Um, it's things you could, the average Joe could learn at home. You know, it's me. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Joseph. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent right. No, yeah, that, that's great. Knowledge that, is, it's all there. It's all, it's all there. You just gotta, you know, put it, put it, you know, to use physically and practically. Right. We'll definitely yeah. include include the link for caliber fitness in our description definitely want to check that out if uh you are uh someone that callum mentioned that you want to you know improve your lifestyle or you know if you're just looking for a change definitely make sure to check out uh, his blog here um yeah man number drop one me, fat loss tip drop me a drop me a comment on my personal trainers hey, <laughs> there's also for a the downloadable a downloadable free blueprint as well for, for anyone interested to get a bit muscle so yeah check it out if you want if you have time if you can be bothered i definitely will you should um set up maybe a fitness restaurant as well just direct fit- your uh, bloggers to you. what is a fitness <laughs> restaurant no, no, yeah. that's a, it's um, like health conscious eating healthy conscious eating yeah just meal prep restaurant you know you just turn up and you get a little box Scan your QR code. Yeah. Tracks all your nutrients. And That's actually very, very popular in Hong Kong right now. Is it? Of, is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised it's not taken off here. quick. Because the, the, the market is kind of shifting towards healthy eating. Massively. Massively. Oh, oh yeah. The, like, in, in the US, definitely, like, the whole vegan trend is, like, it's taken off and it's definitely not ever, oh, like, God, vegan. coming down. Yeah, it's, everything is just the the more west you go, the more you know <laughs> beyond meat you, you you get. So it's yeah, that's definitely is is that something that that you sort of do you promote that at, at all, Callum? Uh, veganism no. or yeah? Um, I we we cater to it. Yeah, we cater we do cater to it. Um, but it's not. It's not something we kind of base a whole entire restaurant concept around. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the ones in London, they, right. they they've not been that successful, which makes me feel it's a bit of a kind of fatty, fatty phase. I suppose to go there, like all your mates should be somewhat vegan or enjoy vegan food. So it's best to have best of both worlds, like like you say. Yeah, yeah. Be inclusive. <laughs> oh, you have to be. You have to be. So, on the final kind of final note, um, in terms of having had you know eight, ten years in the in the industry, and you mentioned that not many people stick around for more than five years. So, if you were to mention a f- kind of message to people who are embarking and you know trying to live their dream of starting their own business. For those that haven't been scared off. What's the, what's the biggest heads up and what's... <laughs> oh, no. Do you, yeah. They're probably there now. Don't get me wrong. This is purely my own personal... Obviously, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. This is my personal opinion. If you do want to go for it, by all means, go for it, man. Um, a lot of people do have a genuine passion in food, you know. What I would say, is though, is 
to watch out, you know, don't confuse a passion with a career. I also know that a lot of people who did just have a passion for food, they do enter the restaurant business and they lose that passion very, very quickly. Um, a restaurant is a business at the end of the day, you know. So if you are to dive into it, I would first suggest that you really know your numbers and your financials. Every single cent, penny counts in a restaurant. You need to know exactly what's going in and exactly what's going out. And that's the only way you can ever be, be successful. Um, I think a lot of the younger, younger entrepreneurs, uh, restaurateurs even kind of ignore that aspect. You know, they, they think they kind of have that mentality that the wealth will kind of accumulate in their bank account, which isn't as far from it. You know, it doesn't work like that. You need to be on your numbers all the time, you know, know them inside out. And with regards to the second tip, be prepared to work, work hard. Um, but also find some time for yourself, you know, you can't be, it's very easy to kind of work and kind of have that tunnel vision in, in a restaurant just because you're constantly immersed in it, you know, but you need to find some time for yourself. Um, enjoy yourself, relax, look after your mental health. Working in a restaurant is very mentally taxing, not just physically, it's mentally exhausting. Um, and the third tip I think is to hire a good team. You can't do it by yourself. You can't micromanage too much. You have to delegate. You have to have someone you can rely on, managers, head chefs, someone reliable, you know. Get those three things sorted and you'll be hopefully fine. Touch wood. Nice one. That's that's really insightful, mate. It's good tips. Don't get burnt out physically. Oh yeah, for yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that actually, Joe. Um yeah, watch out for the burnout. Honestly, I think I burn your food. <laughs> no, on, on a serious note, it's it's so easy to burn out in a restaurant, and it normally creeps up on you as well. You think you can handle it, you think you're young, you think you have all this energy, but it's a grind, you know. At the end of the day, it's a massive grind, and a lot of people do get burnt out in 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 the restaurant sector. I'm pretty sure every minute of every day, there will be at least someone, some waiter, some bartender in the world who's having a mental breakdown, crying. Um. Mm. A rare occurrence for a member of staff to break down and start crying just on the restaurant floor. It's high intensity work, you know. Um, yeah, so find find your own ways to deal with burnout. You know, you need to find some time for stuff. Thanks, Colin. That's, right. Uh, no, thank you so much, Callum, for some um, good good heads up. Right, fantastic uh, insight. Um, thank thank you so much for sort of giving oh, us this. No, no, that, it's it's uh, our pleasure for. For, uh, for hosting you here today. Very in interesting um, insights on uh, the restaurant industry. I honestly had no idea about pretty much anything that we talked about because I'm, I'm not familiar with um, the uh, restaurant scene in the UK at all. So th thank you again, Callum. Thank you for your time here. Um, if you guys are interested in um, checking out his blog, uh, please make sure to check that out. That's Caliber Fitness. We will include uh, the link in the description below. Um, as for um, any other questions that you have for Callum, uh, feel free to, um, I guess, let us know. Or should they also, also contact you uh, directly, Callum, if they have any questions? Yeah, for sure. By all means. Um, just one, one final thing before I leave. <laughs> I, I, don't wanna, I don't want the audience to kind of think that, you know, to be really put off after everything I said, I mean, if if you if you do have a genuine good idea, genuinely good idea, 
an authentic recipe that you want to share with the world, by all means, go for it. If that's your passion, if that's that's your dream, you know, just uh, be be prepared for it. Don't don't go in kind of thinking it's all going to be flowers and sunshine every day. It's hard work and it's yeah. kills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put your work and get the rewards. Yeah. Right. No. Thanks for that, Callum. Definitely don't want to get uh, don't want to be afraid to get our hands dirty here. Uh, right. Thank thank you so much again, Callum. Um, uh, Joe, any uh, last remarks here? No, it's all good from us. Um, as usual, you can feel free to DM us um, at one mate dot one do on on Instagram, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you. My fire, the one desire.